recording live from a secret room in the Trufant family basement. It's the Seahawks Nest Podcast. That's a double reference. It's a Seahawks reference and a Falcons reference. Suck it, world. Wow. I didn't even I even know where that was coming from. That was good. That was really good. That's from the janitor's closet at King's High School. Yeah, exactly. We're just uh, we're just we're just uh, bringing it real right here on the Seahawks Nest podcast. I was a little upset when we didn't get Desmond Trufant, even though we really had no shot at him in the draft. I was like, oh, I, I wanted all the Trufants. That would hey, been good. Before we go too far, though, I'm gonna open up an ice cold can of Matty Ice. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to do it. There's your there's your I, joke you couldn't wait to, to do. do. You just couldn't wait. Oh, that was a lot of setup for that joke. I fucking hate Ma- that nickname, Matty Ice. That's five dollars for the swear jar, and I don't even care. Hey man, Matty Ice <laughs> is a great nickname for a man who's cool, calm, and collected through the first seven games of the NFL season. <laughs> As you can see, last year and this year, Matt Ryan is playing up to that Matty Ice name. Yeah, I will say it actually is a good name for him because. He really is a lot like Matt Hasselbeck. Oh, don't... How dare you? You know how much I love Matthew Hasselbeck. He's the best part of Monday Night Football. So did you... Spe- I don't want to go to... Yeah, you know what? We'll just come, to it, come up to it later. Let's... Uh, <laughs> I, there's just... There was a really good 538 article about how t- uh, teams that start good early and then what they do in the, and then fall apart and then what they do in the next season that I found very entertaining. Okay, Ooh. when we get to the preview, we'll have to do that. There's a sneak peek there. Tune in at 6.30 for that one. Yeah, uh, welcome to the Seahawks Nest podcast, the only podcast that guarantees excellent Seahawk coverage followed by excellent movie coverage with little sprinklings of jokes sprinkled in. There's an asterisk next to the excellent. And there's an asterisk next to the jokes, too. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I'm your host, Eric Ronebeck. With me is uh, the... Surprisingly beer in hand, Kevin Garber. The surprisingly beer in hand, Nathan Santo. And I also have a beer in hand. Uh, Nathan is drinking Matty Ice in some weird Freudian way. I am drinking Blue Moon Pumpkin Ale. It's terrible. It's as if beer and cinnamon had a baby, and I'm drinking the baby, and it's grossing me out. Does it taste like a Blue Moon with like a liquefied... Uh... Uh, cinnamon candy in there? Uh, no, it's not that sweet, it, which is good because sweet beer is gross. But it so it's more like Blue Moon, and then someone stuck a Glade cinnamon air freshener in it. Boom! <laughs> Kevin Garber with the perfect beer analysis. He's great at the draft. He's great at beer analysis. What can't he do? Free agency. That's why we have Nate. That's right. <laughs> oh, contracts, my favorite. All right, so uh, we do have the Falcons coming up this week, but before we get to that, it's bye week coverage this last week, which means we get to waste some time and talk about future Seahawks. So we're going to go through the draft. We're going to go through some free agents uh, upcoming this season, basically looking at how the Seahawks, before we even know what they're going to do this year, what they're going to do in the offseason. Eric, uh, so you're saying you have a lot of questions? I have I have quite a few. So you're bye week curious? Is I am bye week curious. Look at that. Oh, man. And on National Coming Out Day and everything, the, <laughs> the, the thing is this podcast doesn't release until two days later, but, you know, the, now they know when we record. That's, that's all right. You know, and I'd like to point out that we've all only had like two sips of beer and we're, we're just, haha, everything's great. This is a standard level of off task, let's be honest. <laughs> it really is. It really is. No, so, Kevin, the Seahawks are going to be picking 32nd in the NFL draft probably. Uh, let's hope anyway. Uh, do we know what picks we have, meaning how many picks per round? I know that the Seahawks, uh, thanks Pete Carroll, did get stripped of a third round pick, I'm thinking. Maybe it's a fourth rounder for having too many practices. I thought it was a fifth. Mm. It wasn't just too many practices. It was like too many practices with pads or something. And contract. 
Yeah. You know what? I thought it might have been a third or a fourth. You're saying fifth. I'm settling on fourth round pick because I think fifth was too late. And you know what? To be honest, the way a lot of teams have come out looking sloppy and not good because they haven't been there. I don't think they get enough practices in pads. The new CBA is so restrictive. It's probably worth it with how good <laughs> we've looked when we come out, especially on defense. We have not looked sloppy or unorganized in any way on defense. It's worth an Alex Collins is what you're saying. Yeah. Well, I mean, if that's who we're picking, definitely. <laughs> Alex Collins is not impressing me at all. It's hard to get an updated list. That's information that you think you'd be able to get readily. But the last list I can find, we picked up a fourth rounder from the Patriots in the in a trade back last year. Um, we're, and then we picked up a seventh rounder for Kevin Norwood from the Panthers a couple years ago. <laughs> and I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but he was worth a seventh rounder. Okay. <laughs> And you know how much I love Kevin Norwood, too. And we may or may not be giving a pick away to the Raiders for the uh, for the Dewey McDonald trade. I we don't Dewey's not on the roster anymore, is he? Dewey McDonald? I don't, uh, I don't think so. I don't so. think so. Outside and of being not, one of be. Scrooge McDuck's nephews that we never heard about, I'm I'm pretty sure he's not on the team. What about uh, but we just have compensatory picks? I was, yeah, I was gonna say compensatory like, picks are my favorite. So they're not confirmed, and they don't confirm them until way later. But there's a couple of websites out there. Uh, one of them is OverTheCap.com. Not a sponsor, but sponsoring the segment. Little did they know, <laughs> and they, they want go their, through. They want their money back, all zero dollars <laughs> of it. They go through, and they just got it back. I just transferred it. Um, PayPal. They go through and they try and calculate based on historic trends what you're probably going to get. And it's looking really good for the Seahawks right now. We're looking at probably a fourth rounder for Bruce Irvin, probably a fourth rounder for J.R. Sweezy, which I'll take that every day of the week. Really? And that doesn't include us getting anything for Russell Okung because that's a little hard to calculate because since it's the first year of the deal as a contract all by itself, that's going to count a little funny because it's based off of like how much they play and how much they make, it's mostly a financial thing. So we're probably going to get something for Okung, but it's hard to calculate what. Yeah, we might even get Okung back because they're definitely going to cut him. You think so? Oh, my gosh. Have you seen him play? Uh, here's the thing. I watched Denver because, you know, we had a bye week, and that was the only game on, or the one of the only two games on. I didn't want to watch it. And I thought, man, it's really great to see him huffing and puffing with his hands on his hip after the first play for another team. <laughs> my goodness. I realize that you have, it's hard to be a professional athlete, but man, Russell Okun, could you, you have the worst poker face on earth. Like, are you tired, Russ? <sighs> I'm just, <laughs> I'm psyched up. <sighs> I mean, he is just hands on his hips immediately. No yeah. wonder the guy can't guard unless you put him on the Seahawks because he's better than our Friend guy. of the podcast, Todd, uh, he liked to oh, say. A GFOP? That's it. And he liked to say that Russell Okun, man's got a lot of quit in him. Yeah, that's I remember that, and that is <laughs> that's worth it, man. That is a that is a pretty accurate statement. Okay, so do we want to start with the draft, or do we want to start with free agency? I think we should go draft because free agency is is the the names that you know you can get excited about, but draft are the these are the gems, and frankly, it's college football season. These are the guys you can watch now. Okay, let's go. And I want to I want to hear draft. So let's go ahead and run this like a. Q&A. So what are you curious about? What positions are you thinking? When are you thinking we're going to be looking at them? Do you want just like a couple overall trends of the draft first? You know, I'm going to... Please just tell me like, 
you know, because every year there's there's one or two positions that are loaded, right? Yeah. Like, these are the loaded positions. So it's can a, you, this draft. Could you tell me, like, what are the loaded positions in this draft? Because maybe if those are good fits for Seahawks, that'd be awesome. And then, of course, we need to know, please tell us about all of the offensive linemen. Yes, yeah, no, we need <laughs> all of them. So running back is pretty loaded. It's a pretty big running back here. It wouldn't be surprising if as many as three or four running backs came off the board in the first round. There's a lot of talent out there, like uh, Leonard Fournette and Dalvin Cook are two of the big names that you've heard about, and there's a bunch more that are really interesting players. And I think it's a really good year for corners. I think the cornerback uh, crop is really deep with players like uh, Jalen Tabor from Florida, Desmond King, who was who won like the big defensive backs award. Last year, came back for a senior season afterwards out of Iowa. He's really an interesting player. Dory Jackson from USC. There's another uh, Cordray Tankersley from Clemson. Uh, there's a lot of mm. SEC talent coming out. These and are, then UW actually has quite a bit of talent. That's about yeah, they do. So um, I'd say running back and corner are probably the two that I really like a lot. Okay, and I'm wrong about this possibly, so correct me if I am. But... I just because I don't know college football, but I think wasn't last year a running back cornerback draft, or yeah, running back cornerback draft as well. Or is... corner had a lot of talent uh, last year. Running back had Maybe a lot of corner depth. Had, yeah, corner had high end talent, wasn't it? Like first corner had picks. a lot of high end talent, and running back had a lot of depth. This is kind of the reverse. Okay. Corner has a lot of depth this year, though they have some top end talent. They'll probably be like around three or so taken in the first round, as far as I can tell now. And running back has more high-end talent. The other thing is wide receiver. This is one of the weaker wide receiver crops in the last few years. And we were uh, blessed with good wide receiving cores for or in the draft, like good wide receiving crops over the last four or five years. Yeah, it's been a pretty unprecedented last like four or five years. So running back's a little thin, and unfortunately for us. Offensive tackle and especially left tackle are real thin. This is uh, an interesting year if you're trying to get a tackle. There's a number of right tackles. There's some tackles that are probably guard converts. But Cam Robinson out of Alabama and Roderick Johnson are the two that people are mostly talking about at left tackle. And Roderick Johnson, I will say right now out of Florida State, feels like the biggest trap. Because if you watch him play, there's so many things that tell you that his game has a good shot at not translating well to the NFL. Jeez. So <clears throat> that's exactly what we didn't want to hear, Kevin. <laughs> but that's okay. Uh, you know, you can't have you can't have good offensive line players every year. This last year, there were a lot of guards in the draft. And the Seahawks did go heavy on the offensive line. And Pete Carroll is really good. You know, the old Pete redshirt. Redshirt freshmen, uh, starting players who, who don't play well their first year and then they, they grow into their roles. Is there any position that you're really excited about that you didn't mention that you think the Seahawks can benefit from? We're always looking for depth on the defense. I think defensive line and outside linebacker are two to look at. There's a lot of speed at outside linebacker. The safety linebacker hybrid has really made its way to college football, especially where you get a lot more like three, three fives. Pete Carroll says you're welcome. Yes. Do you think that that means like, because uh, I know from my thing, one of the guys that I'm most interested to see what we do with is Mike Morgan. So do you think that there's a chance Mike Morgan might just get ta- let, let go and we replace him with a rookie? I think there's a really good chance that would happen. 
Okay. I can dig that because that was like one of my biggest takeaways from looking at all the free agency information was that Mike Morgan is one of the most interesting players because we don't use him that much. Like his snap counts aren't super high, but he does seem like a pretty decent player. He has some value. Like he's in an interesting spot in terms of the where the roster's at. Yeah, outside linebacker is interesting in this draft because it's one of those pick what you want. You know, depending on the round you're looking at and the type of player you want, you can get like your Bruce Irvin pass rushing outside linebackers. You can get really talented coverage linebackers that are more like bulky safeties. You can get your bigger, more traditional outside linebackers like James uh, Anwalu from Notre Dame is one of those kind of traditional, bigger outside linebackers. And he's probably going to go in the middle rounds because that's not something a lot of teams are looking for anymore. And he might even be like a KJ Wright replacement. Hmm. And he's probably going to go somewhere between the third and the fifth round. A replacement for KJ Wright so soon? Are we writing KJ Wright off so soon? That was just for Nathan. And oh, his, contract, his contract is so good, though. <laughs> for I him? mean, it's team-friendly at the very least. Because we can cut him at any time and get all the money back. Yeah, and he's, I don't know, there, KJ Wright has his moments. He has his, the opposite, whatever the opposite of moments are. He I mean, has let's be honest. Two. Like, for an outside linebacker at this point, like 6.8 million is kind of a lot, but it's not that bad. Just the most embarrassing thing is that he's making more money next year than Cliff Averill. That doesn't seem correct to me at all. But thanks, Cliff. Yeah. I mean, Cliff got signed right after KJ Wright, didn't he? Uh, Cliff actually extended his contract uh, last year and, he went four years, twenty eight and a half million. Like he just basically gave us like a super hometown discount. Yes, he count. did. Thanks, Cliff. You're the man. Cliff Cliff Averill is uh, you know one of my favorite dudes for that. Did you hear about what he's doing for Haiti? No, what, I know that that is big for him. Yeah, he's building a house for every sack he gets for the rest of the year, which is That's just legit. really good. I Means he's probably awesome. gonna build like eight to twelve houses. Yeah, nice. That's my prediction right there. Going bold with it. That's a solid prediction. <laughs> So I, so what position groups are you looking at? What rounds do you want to go with? You know, for me, I don't, Nathan, you can butt in with this if you have anything more importantly. You've answered a lot of my questions. I'm, I would like to know what the Seahawks could be looking at in the money rounds, meaning the, the Seahawks third and third, fourth and fifth rounds. Yeah, like, can we get value in the mid round? Is there, is there offensive lineman that in your, you know, moder- mod- let's, we'll call it professional opinion, whatever. In your professional opinion, is there is there players in the middle rounds that the Seahawks could put into our either offensive line or, you know, defensive rotation like we have done with Jaron Reed and immediately have them have impact? I feel like this year, last year's class is one of our most impactful classes in a long time. Is there a way that, is there guys that you like right now that could fit in in a similar way? There are a few that I really like. In the second or third round, uh, Connor McDermott from UCLA and Adam Biznawadi, whose name is just awesome to say, yeah, who's out of pit, are two very physical players that might be more right tackle than left tackle in the NFL, though they both are more capable of left tackle than anyone that we currently have on our roster. What, don't talk about Bradley <laughs> Soul like that. He might be listening. He might be better next and year. And if you are listening... Keep working, Bradley. You got a ways to go. Yeah, I hope this bye week was kind to you. <laughs> too much, too much. Yeah. Hey, remember Justin Britt was bad once too, and he's still not. Yeah, great. I, I think Bradley Soldis needs to change positions. He just needs to be playing guard. Yeah. I think he just needs to be playing guard for another team. 
Yeah, I mean, there's just no room at, on the inside of our line. There's no room. He, he's a backup if he's playing guard for yeah, us. Yeah, he'd be our fourth best guard. Yikes. That's a problem. Uh, there's also another interesting pick out of Texas A&M. Uh, Avery Genesee is the player that kept Effetti on right tackle at Texas A&M. And I could see him coming out and being a left tackle. He's got the footwork to stick at left tackle. And he's a guy that people are talking about in the really mid-mid rounds. And I watched him play against some quality opponents in the SEC. And he really... He can handle bull rush so he can get bent a little bit. His lateral movement is solid, and he's really a mauler. He's kind of got that same nasty streak that Jermaine Effetti does. Well, if he's a guy that likes to get after it, he'll fit right in on our team. Yeah, he could be kind of a Kung-like, where in pass protection he may not be a top-flight left tackle, but for a run-blocking left tackle, he could be one of the better ones. The other guy is Dan Skipper out of Arkansas, who's literally a giant. He's 6'9". They put him Jeez. in on the kick-blocking team just because he all just has to stand up and put his arms up. Yeah. And he's a complete mauler, but again, he has no kick slide, and he tends to overreach. I think he could be a right tackle. I really don't see him as a left tackle. If we're looking at a Fetty kicking out to right tackle, and we don't think that Odiombo is going to be able to stick or maybe want a guy in rotation there. I think guards a lot deeper. There's a uh, Kyle. Uh, I think his last name is Kalise or Callis out of Michigan and Dorian Johnson out of Pitt are both really good. Greg Pike out of Georgia. And then there's a lot of players like Clint Van Horn. Clint Van Horn's a right tackle from Marshall who is playing tackle in college on a mid-level college team. But really in the NFL, he'd be a guard. And there's a, a few, a handful, probably three to five players that really fit that college tackle NFL guard concept. And they would be a lot like a Jermaine Effetti when drafted in that they'd be a bigger, kind of longer armed guard. And that can work really well in the zone blocking scheme that the team uses. Hmm, cool. And those will all be like fourth, fifth round guys. <clears throat> uh, defensive line. I really like Sam Hubbard out of Ohio State. He's kind of getting lost. There's a lot of young pass rushers, like Miles Garrett out of Texas A&M is a monster. And there's some really him. good players like that. Uh, Derek Barnett out of Tennessee. And people are really getting in on them. Sam Hubbard kind of got lost in the shuffle. He was the other guy with Joey Bosa. And he's a guy where maybe he can't defeat the double team every time. But a lot like Cliff Averill, if you put him one-on-one, -on -one, he's going to eat every once in a while. And that's a good guy to throw into a rotation. He'd be an interesting player in like the second or third. Deshaun Hand out of Alabama runs about 6'4", 280. And he's one of those guys who can play inside-outside. And he'd be another versatile player a la Frank Clark, a la Cassius Michael Marsh. Bennett, yeah. Cassius Marsh. Shift him around. And that Alabama line is an NFL caliber line. Well, yeah, they, that's just the, the lower tier NFL team playing college ball. Uh, I don't agree with that. Do you want to, do you want to go into I, that? No, I don't, but Alabama the, always just... The Cleveland Browns, would, who I think is the worst team in the NFL, would trash any college football I, team. I totally agree with that. I just want to I want feed I into say, that hot if, take belief. I would, seriously, I would seriously take, like, if you were like, I'll give you 56 points, and I'm like, are you guaranteed that the Browns are going to try the whole game? Yeah, I'll give me the minus 56. Like, I really think, because th just imagine, like, Joe Thomas against their defensive line. Like, he just, he'll be able to just destroy that guy on every play. Yeah. They could just run left every play and they'll get seven yards. 
But anyway, I digress. <laughs> Defensive tackle is actually really deep in this draft, too. And this gives me a chance to talk about some UW guys because University of their Washington's putting so a lot good. of defensive talent in this draft. Yeah, defense is awesome. And so I really like Elijah Qualls, who's uh, very Cameron Meebane-esque. He's about 6'1", 320, extremely mobile, great movement for a really big guy, and he can kind of pass rush up the middle. He'd be an interesting D-tackle who's right now going to probably go in the middle rounds. And there's a lot of talent like that. B.J. Singleton out of Houston, who's a freak athlete. This is a dude who runs about 6'3". He's over 300 pounds, and his team drops him into zone coverage over the middle because he's just so athletic. And so defensive line talent is really big. Washington also has Sidney Jones and Kevin King. Kevin King is a player I want to keep an eye on because he might end up going. Buda Baker and Sidney Jones are the two defensive backs from the University of Washington everyone's talking about. They're like the clear big talents. Buda Baker is going to be probably a top 20 pick. Buda Baker gets a profile every time UW is on TV. Yeah, and he should. He's really good. He's University of Washington's Earl Thomas. And really, Sidney Jones is... UW's Richard German right now. He's a bigger corner. He's got some range to him. He's about a little over six foot, six foot and some change. And if he can run somewhere in the four fours in the combine, he's going to get a really strong look. The other player, though, is Kevin King. And Kevin King plays opposite uh, Sidney Jones. And he's a 6'3", about 200-pound corner with a lot of starting experience. And he's kind of a leader. He's one of these guys, again, 6'3", but he can run a little bit. He'd be a really good fit, a really interesting player for to see Pete Carroll mold. And if we picked him up, I think he could be a really solid mid-round pick for this team. Hmm. <clears throat> Sweet. Yeah, UW's defense is pretty incredible. I'm like... Uh... I'm very interested in any players on that defense just because of how, how strong they seem to be right now. Yeah. Well, with the draft, again, we don't know where the Seahawks are going to be picking, but it's good to know the the talent that's out there, and it's good to know it now. I mean, we're right in the middle of the college football season. I've been watching more college football because Wazoo's fun to watch, and UW's really fun to watch, and... Alabama is still boring to be me. good. I'm glad it's in. I'm glad it's in Pullman because it means the game's actually going to be close. If it was in, if it was in Seattle, I think UW would just roll up. They're they're probably unbeatable at home this year. Hopefully, it's a snow game because those Apple Cups are the most fun to watch. It'll be really entertaining, and it's a there's a decent possibility it'll be for the Pac-12 North. Yeah. So that's a really meaningful game, and it's always cool when those are meaningful. There's like a there's a lot of good cornerbacks right in this draft. Mm-hmm. Like. There's just I'm I'm really excited because yeah I mean, there's a ton of good corners and a ton of length at corner like there's a bunch of guys six foot and over Jalen Tabor the, but there's also a lot of underclassmen so the question is are they going to come out like Marlon Humphrey from Alabama is really good but he's only a sophomore can same we, with uh, and can the Seahawks draft Jabril Peppers just because I like him so much Not- Jabril Peppers no he can't draft Jabril Peppers because that man is a freak and he's going to go in probably the top five. But like, if like I was a lot of people are projecting him, picks, like, I might pick him. Like, low first round, and I don't get it, because that guy's just a, he's an animal. Uh, Jabril Peppers, if Jabril Peppers goes anywhere past 20 and we don't trade up for him, I would, if you were go if you asked me if I would ship out Cam Chancellor to get him, I would say yes tonight. Ooh. Yeah, Jabril Peppers is, I like, like, I don't watch a lot of college football, but I watch some, and when I see Jabril Peppers play, I'm just like, wow. 
this guy, it, he doesn't matter where you put him. It does, the thing is, they move him all over the place, too. It yeah. doesn't matter where they put him on the football field. He impacts the game on every play. He's just a playmaker. He's an excellent... He's like Honey Badger. If Honey Badger was was real safety-sized. Yeah, like if he was big. Yeah, he's like big Honey Badger. All right, I just wanted to bring up... I just wanted an opportunity to bring up Jabril Peppers. Cause yeah. Because he's my favorite college football player. Right now, and I mean, I just, I love if you it. want just top end talent, if you're like, looking at watching out, football outside of Luke Falk, Luke Falk's my <laughs> Luke Falk's going to be a really interesting draft pick next year. Yeah, but Miles Garrett from Texas A&M is a freak defensive end. That guy makes an impact every play. Jabril Peppers is incredible. Jonathan Allen from Alabama is really good. And if you want a guy who just wrecks things, Malik McDowell from Michigan State. Yeah. Michigan State's not that good this year. But Malik McDowell's awesome. This is like a 280-pound defensive tackle who just makes people look ridiculous. Yeah. This is a guy There's who, real Aaron Donald potential here. Or he could be a 3-4 defensive end mm-hmm. and just embarrass people. Yeah. This guy is a freak. Yeah, he's not JJ. He's not JJ Watt, but maybe in ten, five years, if he lifts enough weights and does enough HGH, he could be. <laughs> Ooh, got him. Sad but true. All right, let's uh, let's move to free agency. Nathan, okay. tell us all about all the good okay. players. Well, a lot of people know that we there's came, no offensive line talent. We came into this. <laughs> we came into this season with uh, without about seven million in cap space. That's how we've been able to sign CJ Spiller during the season. We could honestly make a couple more moves like that and be fine. We could sign uh, veteran free agents that on on one year deals if guys start to get hurt or something like that. We're giving about ten million, ten to twelve million dollars in dead money to Jari Evans, Marshawn Lynch, and Kerry Williams. Uh, some of that gets eaten up by the contracts going up next year, but in all, we end up with about eighteen million in free, in uh, free money next year and only two hundred and twenty seven thousand dollars in dead money, which is a really low amount. We have basically. No dead money next year. So how much of that do you think is going to have to Which go to Bennett? All the money's going into the team. Now, the reason we <laughs> saved about $8 million this year is because we're going to have to give 5 or $6 million to Bennett and probably $3 million to Cam Chancellor. So really, we're going into next season with about the same amount of money that we had this year left over. The debt, we're basically going to – all the dead money is going to go to people to, okay. in contract extensions. I'm okay with now, that. we can free up a bunch of money by cutting some people. We can cut – uh, Jimmy Graham and get $10 million. I don't know how you feel about that, but I think we could re-sign him for less than $10 million and just save money. I think that, that he would probably find that acceptable if we said, hey, I you want to take $8 million and come back next year. He'd probably be like, sure. I talked to him about restructuring. I wouldn't want to risk losing him, but I would definitely be willing to restructure. Um, the other guy we can cut and save a lot of money is not going to surprise you. It's KJ Wright. Uh, KJ Wright, we could save four, or we could save $4.8 million by just cutting him. Uh, which is, makes it interesting for me because I think linebacker is one of those fungible positions. And if we end up really needing extra money to either go after a good offensive lineman or something like that, KJ is the guy that might end up being the one that gets the axe. And I hate to lose him, but I think we can get, we can stay cheap. Like Kevin said, there's good linebackers in the draft. We can stay cheap and get a different guy because he does make almost four percent, four and a half percent of our cap is KJ Wright. And I don't, I don't know if that's really great value for and what we're getting. That draft pick would make under a million in yeah. the second or third round. So I like, I like those are the moves. We could also cut Cam Chancellor and save a bunch of money, but we're not doing that. No. So I'm just going to throw that one right out the window. There's a Cam Chancellor replacement in the draft. There's a dude who's actually like six four two twenty. Yeah, well, th- we also there's Jabril <laughs> Peppers. You know, let's get him. All right, but anyway, uh, Cam Chancellor, I think will end up. He'll end up making a similar amount to what he makes now, maybe plus or mi- plus about a million and a half when we re- restructure his contract. 
I think he'll end up at about nine and a half, which seems about right to me. And I think Bennett will end up around 11, which also 11 or 12, which seems correct to me. Mm-hmm. So then that's about five to six million gone off next year's cap. 13 million to go. We have lots of free agents we could get. We do need to re-sign some guys though. Biggest of which is Steven Hauschka. Hauschka is like the, Hauschka is the only unrestricted free agent that I feel like we're probably a hundred percent to re-sign and he's going to cost a lot of money for a kicker, which sucks, but it, it, How it is. How much is a lot is. of money though? Is that like, like this year million? he made three and a half million dollars. So it'd be around, like around the same or would be close to like four, four and a half? Uh, if we have to pay him $4 million, he's not coming back. There's no way that he should make more money than like a Tia Rubin or like Jermaine Effetti, even on a rookie contract. Like kickers are fun- fungible. You can just go find a kicker. There are guys not kicking footballs right now that would do almost as good as Hauschka. And if they're going to cost 25% at much, at some point you have to be like, all right, well, it's just not worth it anymore. Well, we love Hauschka, but that's basically what Hauschka was because Alindo Mari had good years for us. And we were like, well, he's making too much money. Swap. Yeah, True. same with Josh Brown. Josh Brown was great, and then the, the Giants were like, we're going to pay you a boatload of money, and we're like, all right, well, have fun in New York. Or it was the Rams, sorry. It was the have Rams. Fun in St. Louis. <laughs> and remember, it was uh, it was $500,000 more over the course of the entire contract, but it was kicking inside, and he said, quote, the Rams have a better chance of making a Super Bowl run than the Seahawks do. And that worked out for him. It so, did work out very well for all right. him. Other unrestricted free agents that we might resign, uh, that is uh, Michael Morgan, and that's it. So everyone else I feel like is just not going to be on the team. Uh, Luke Wilson, Bradley Soul, Kelsey McRae, Brandon Williams, Tony McDaniel, CJ Spiller. All those guys will either come back on budget deal, deals or not come back at all. So I'm not really so sweating. So all those guys are either Tony McDaniel or not at all? I'm not sweating that too much. We have a lot of restricted free agents. Uh, so we'll have to tender some of those guys, including the most interesting restricted free agents for me. There's there's three. You guys ready? Oh, all right. Here we go. More than ready. Christian Michael. Okay. Okay. That's a big choice. Gary Gilliam. Gary Gilliam. That's the one that you're not Gary sure Gilliam. If he exists. Gary Gilliam is surprisingly not terrible. He's a good swing tackle. Like if he was our third tackle, I'd feel so much right. better about so him. So do you give him a do you give him a third round tender? Do you give him like a million dollars next year and say like, okay. Someone can give us a third rounder for this guy? Yeah. Okay. And then uh, the last one is... Oh, there's two more. Sorry, I lied. Uh, Brock Coyle. I forgot Brock Coyle. Are Brock you Coyle is a Brock football Coyle player. Back? He's very replaceable, but he's a good special teams guy. If we could bring him back for next to nothing, I would do right. it. Here's the other one that I was thinking of. Here's the actual third one that I had before I saw Brock Coyle's name. and was like, oh, that's, that's a thing. Deshaun Shedd. I do not want to lose Deshaun Shedd just because of the flexibility he offers in packages. I don't think he's going to be commanding a huge raise. Okay. Right? So what kind of tender would you put on him? Second then? round. You'd put a sec- you'd pay him $2 million? That's over $2 million. I don't. I think that's too much. I don't actually think that that's... Is that over two? I thought it was just under two. No, it's just over two. Oh, okay. Then I guess I put a third round tender. I third like... round's like one... That's like 1.8. Yeah. That I... It's hard for me because not knowing exactly what our plan is, like, are we going to go out and are we going to try to make a run at one of these guys that's really, really good? Like, are we going to try to make a run at Matt Khalil or are we going to try to make a run at Kevin Zeitler? Like one of these really good offensive linemen that's out there or is it just going to be, you know, like, oh, we're we're not doing anything, you know, we're just, I, I don't know. It's hard to tell because if like we're going to make a run at Matt Khalil, we need to bust out the checkbook you know like we're probably cutting kj right and we don't are not getting all of those restricted free agents right 
Yeah. If we're making a run at Kevin Zeitler, like we're not getting all those, rest- we're not, we're cutting someone or we're not getting any of the restrictions. I think players. that goes against everything the Seahawks have done. And even like, look at the big names, Percy Harvin, Jimmy Graham. We didn't give up a lot to get them. Jimmy Graham, we gave up Max Unger, which I still think is still hurting the team. And we gave up a fourth rounder. Yeah. And I, that's the most we've done. I think to, well, first rounder for Harvin. Yeah. But that was a, I, it was, we never draft in the first round. We rarely draft in the first round. It didn't seem like, it does not seem like as big of deals to get Jimmy Graham. But I don't see us cutting a lot of guys to sign new people. I just don't think that's the PCJS mold. So I don't, I don't know. I, unless we can get them I on a good it. deal, do I don't see that, it happening. You think that that's not the mold, but it kind of is the mold because we traded first round picks multiple times. We've given up big assets to basically sign Percy Harvin. And uh, Jimmy Graham. Like, I agree with that, but I'm saying like cutting all these players. Like if we cut KJ Wright, if we cut whatever the other big name you mentioned, I just don't see us doing Jimmy, that. Yeah, I don't, Jimmy Graham. It's I think the, we can restructure Jimmy, cut. but I don't th- see us cutting Jimmy Graham. I think if we'd have done that, we'd have done it after the patella surgery. You know, maybe we trade him because our weapons are so great. But I mean, look at the way Jimmy Graham's playing. He's playing the way we've always wanted him to play. The way. Pete Carroll and John Schneider have always wanted him to play, how they see him fitting into this team. I just don't see him going anywhere unless he has a, a bad season from here on out. All right. Well, what offensive line? What are what other than offensive linemen? Because I already mentioned the two good ones. Uh, everyone else I do not like at all. I guess Riley Reeves, okay. But like Andre, Whit- Andre Whitworth is old, and I do not like the way Cincinnati has played this year that much. So they're, they don't excite me. Getting play, pillaging their offensive linemen does not excite me. And I don't want to take New England's tackles because New England's offensive line is not exactly my favorite either. No, they're game planning their way into an offensive yeah, line. Yeah, like Marcus Cannon and Sebastian Vollmer are not that they're gonna. There's a reason New England's gonna let both those guys walk, and someone's gonna overpay for them. Yeah. So, other than offensive line, is there any uh, position you're interested to know, like who the who the big names are at? Yeah, I think linebacker. If we don't bring back Morgan, especially with him on the IR, maybe we're worried about that. Who's like a uh, a middling amount linebacker we could pick up. Like someone that's not going to make a ton of money? Yeah. Okay, someone who I think is interesting from a, this person maybe doesn't going to make crazy money, but might actually come in on a discount to play for a team that they think can win a championship. DeMarcus Ware is a name that is out there. He's 34 years old. I know he gets dinged up all the time, but DeMarcus Ware would bring a dimension to our offense that um, he's He's a pure outside rusher. He doesn't. There's no tricks or anything. He just he's just really good at that specific thing. So I like the idea of bringing in uh, Demarcus Ware. Um, other than that, it's a bunch of weird guys like Rolando McLean. Uh, we could get him. We could try to rehab him off the purple juice. And who uh, knows what that would be? Uh, he might show up big enough get, to play tackle. Get Malcolm Smith let back. Um, he's like. The thing is, is that we're not getting Lawrence Timmons, we're not getting Julius Peppers, Chandler Jones, Dante Hightower. Like these guys are not going to be end up in Seattle, I don't think. So, for me, like Demarcus Ware, I think on like a veteran style old man contract is like the best bet for something interesting happening at linebacker. I think if we sign a big name like that, I think it's someone who is hungry for a championship, who's only got maybe one year, one and a half year That's left kind of in them. Thinking too. And Demarcus Ware won a championship, right? Yes. yes, last year with the Broncos. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know. Well, I, I mean, 
All of Indianapolis's linebackers are free agents. Just kidding, guys. <laughs> As they should be. That, that, but that's true. Eric Walden, Trent Cole, and Robert Mathis are so all So you're saying agents. Andrew Luck wants to play linebacker. He's that hungry for a championship. You know, oh, yeah. Indy is definitely the essence of replacement level. Yeah. Well, yeah. They, they, when, you, when you're paying your quarterback $300 million and he doesn't play that well, that's what you get. Another thing we can do, too, is like we can make another run at Evan Mathis and hope that this time he picks us. Because this is two times now where he's he's gone elsewhere on pretty low money contracts and played great, and I think he's playing pretty good for Arizona this year too. David Johnson's running wild. Where was the first place he picked? Uh, San Diego, Denver. Oh, Denver. Yeah. He played in Denver this year. He's making four million to play in Arizona. I mean, I would take Evan Mathis for five million next year in a heartbeat. Is it? I mean, I shouldn't say is it possible. Is it likely that Pete Carroll, John Schneider, just see something and they don't like? Yeah, he wears the number sixty nine, and they don't like that. It's immature. <laughs> I mean, he he wears it because that's think, negotiating, and they believe it's in a disgusting act. He wears he wears it because he thinks it's funny too. Like I, Evan Mathis is a redditor, <laughs> and like it's just yeah, he's just a funny guy. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Evan, I'd take Evan Mathis. I'd be all about it. I'd take Kevin Zeitler though. Kevin Zeitler is like the premier guy that we could just plug into if we put him at right guard and push Defetti out to right tackle. Like our offensive line gets a hundred times better. So that would be sweet. Then we just need anything that works at left tackle. Yeah, just put it like a put like a scarecrow. It'd be better than what we got now. All right. Anyway, uh, I think that's it for free agency. I, I don't gonna think say, we're going to chase a corner. You're not talking about Alshon I don't really Jeffrey. Know what else? Yeah, I was going to say Alshon Jeffrey's the guy that like every. Uh, I've been looking forward to this offseason because I was like, man, well, we can get Alshon Jeffrey. We could st- we could get Alshon Jeffrey. You know, like this is the year we could actually get him. There's a bunch of the old cornerbacks that I like, like that all I think could do well in our system. Like I think Terrence Newman in Minnesota has been pretty good this year. Yeah. I wouldn't mind bringing him in if it's on a budget deal. Um, and then there's like guys like Dre Kirkpatrick and uh, Captain Munnerlin and uh, Morris Claiborne. Those are, they're all okay. And I think like in our system, they all could be successful. I think we need more cornerback depth. So getting one of those guys would be, would be really nice. Morris Claiborne would be a big pickup. He would yeah. be really good across yeah. from sure where he's yeah. not the number one. Drake or Patrick would be awesome too. He was, he's a lot more expensive than Morris Claiborne. It'd be the biggest problem. I think Mo Claiborne would be like one of the best number two corners in the NFL if we brought, if we brought him in this. He's been, he's system. been, he's like having a career that, you know what? Dallas is having a career resurgence right now. So I'm not surprised that he's part of it, but that defense has looked a lot better every, every single week. So. Yeah, and he's also pretty young, right? He's like 25, 26? 26, yeah. Yeah. And it, I mean, he's five years removed from being a... What you got to do is what Dallas did with Morris Claiborne this year, is you find a guy that was a first-round draft pick, and you try to like revitalize his career after he's good. New England does this stuff all the time. Yes. It's the kind of stuff that the Seahawks should be looking to do. Find a guy who got picked in the first round at cornerback and just try to like bring him back from the dead you know, as on the Seahawks. That's, that's what I'd expect them to be doing. Yeah, draft him on talent or sign him on talent alone. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then try to fix him because a lot of guys they are first round picks and they get stuck on a team like Jacksonville and they're horrible. And it's like not surprising because they're on Jacksonville. I will say though that the Seahawks, as of right now, we're really stacked at cornerback. I think that we're fine there, and it'd be nice to get some more depth. I I, I don't know. I feel like we have like a number one <laughs> corner and then like five number three corners. And yeah, like there's a lot of depth there. Like there's, but I want a, a true number two. I exactly. agree, and I think via draft or free agency, I think that's probably going to be something that gets addressed. And I think both of those avenues could address it. We love having big, good corners, so I'm not going to be stunned at all if Pete goes after another big corner. Okay, that's fair. Uh, he did it. He went after Kerry Williams, man, and even Kerry Williams sucks, but 
You know, that was, that's because really, we got... They really tried with At Kerry least Williams. we have the we depth got, behind it to be able to absorb that. And we got Carrie Williams that had that the one that has cable, not the one that was DirecTV. Um, I, I don't even know there ever was a DirecTV <laughs> Carrie Williams. It was direct-to-DVD direct Carrie yeah, Williams. I'm kidding. Uh, All right, well, is we, it time to move on? Oh, my gosh. we're It's past time to move on. We have to cover this Falcons game. Lickety split now. All right, let's, you guys ready? Le, yeah, let's, yeah, let's hit it. Let's talk about the good things about the Falcons. Julio Jones, very good. Matt Ryan playing like early season Matt Ryan like we knew he would. They have a running attack, two-headed position, Tevin Coleman and Devonta Freeman. Yep. Their offensive line has improved from last year. Let's not even talk about the defense yet. Kevin, Nathan, what do we do about this offense? I think, you know, Nathan had a line, line about line uh, up Julio in a, Jones. Line up in a 4-3 or a 4-2 and just ask them to beat us. What stops Julio Jones? Injuries. Julio Jones. <laughs> yep. Injuries or Matt Ryan not throwing very well. Yeah. One of those two things has to happen. The other thing that really worries me is both Freeman and Coleman are really good pass-catching running backs, and we're 25th in the NFL at defending pass-catching running backs. So I could see a situation where that ends up burning us pretty hard. But what they won't be able to do is run on us people because they're an okay running team, and our running defense is stacked. Their, their offense is great. They are going to struggle to run against our great run defense. And Julio Jones is going to line up against Richard Sherman, and that, and it's going to be more challenging for him than usual. I'm not going to say he's not going to get any. He'll probably still get 80 to 100 yards, but it will be more challenging for him than usual. That is shutting down. It's like uh, and it's like Brown on Pittsburgh. If you can hold him under 100 yards, you shut him down. We're number four in the league against number one wide receivers, and I don't see any reason for that to change. Um, the thing I'm most worried about is Tevin Coleman in the pass game. Tevin mm-hmm. Coleman's been incredible in the pass game this year. We're struggling against running backs. Running backs are getting 47.7 yards a game against us. They have a We're 25th in the league against running back throws. I am worried that Tevin Coleman's going to catch some gashing passes that keep Atlanta close in this game when really they shouldn't be. Yeah, he had 132 yards receiving against Denver, and Denver's a little better than us, or the numbers before this last game when they got gashed yeah. were better than us. Actually, at going against it. Atlanta bumped them one spot below us. They were away, they were significantly ahead of us, and now they're one spot below us because Tevin Coleman went ham on Denver's uh, defense. Denver also really good against number one wide receivers, and we saw Julio Jones was just okay, but it didn't matter. Like, they can find other ways to beat you. They don't need just Julio Jones to go crazy. But they only scored 20 points, right? Yeah, Atlanta. So Denver held it close. It's just their offense was garbage. But here's the problem. Here's the mat. Here's where this game hits a good turn for us, and that's that Atlanta's defense is totally overrated. Okay, I cannot stress this enough. People are talking like, "Oh, they have a functional pass rush now." Number oh, twenty-six good. defense. They're twenty-sixth in defense. Their DVOA is actually thirty-first. Ooh. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they're. They have played an exceptionally easy schedule for their defense too. So they they're not only are they not good, they're not good, and they're not good at anything. They're twenty fourth against the pass and twenty fourth against the rush. They don't do anything exceptionally well. I would expect the Seahawks to be able to move the ball well against the Atlanta defense. You know what makes me salivate? They are twenty second at defending tight ends. Mm. I think Jimmy Graham could have a day. A feast day. They're really bad against running backs too. They're thirtieth yeah. against running back. But they're not good against anything. It's not like Oh, they're good against the like They're receivers. mediocre against some stuff. Like they're 12th against uh, wide receiver ones. They're 18th against wide receiver and twos. I mean, That's fine. True. We hype up Trufant, and Trufant gets a lot of hype, but I think he's part of the whole overrated nature of this defense. He's good, but not great, and he's not a number one shutdown guy. I, like nailed, he would be the right best 
Well, he would be the best cornerback two in the NFL, and he's a really middle of the pack cornerback one, especially without really good safety help. Uh, Keanu Neal was a good pickup for them, and he's a really like beat him up guy, but he's also a rookie, and he makes really over aggressive mistakes. Atlanta's defense also does something that I feel like they're trying to emulate the Seahawks, but it's well, of course, I mean, I, well, yeah, it's coach. Dan Quinn's, it's Dan Quinn's defense that is Pete Carroll's defense, but like in that Denver game, and. uh what was the the Giants game before that? They they're hitting players late, and they're not getting the calls. Maybe maybe I'm just being overly sensitive. But when he- players are headed towards the sideline, they hit you hard. They're trying to intimidate the other team. Coming into Seattle, trying to intimidate the Seahawks. That's going to be really fun to watch. What happened to the Jets' offensive lineman who tried to intimidate Michael Bennett? Ah, uh, oh, that's right. He knocked his ass out. Yeah, good knocked stuff. Knocked himself out with a headbutt. Good stuff. Yeah, it's uh, this game. You don't intimidate Black Santa. <laughs> I mean, Atlanta, this. Atlanta has 10 sacks, which is right in the middle of the league, but they're not getting much pressure other than that. And when they got most of it in that last game when Tyler Sambrella couldn't like block a Roomba. And yeah, they give up five yards of rush off left tackle, and f- uh, they give up, what, 4.3 yards of rush up the middle. None of, neither of those are particularly good, especially if you compare them to our stats. What are they, uh, who are, who's going to rush against Sewell? Sewell. It's probably going to be Vic Beasley, and he's really fast, and that is one thing I worry about. Coming along the edge and getting a running back from behind. Yeah, but I, he also isn't a great decision maker, and so if Russ is healthy enough and we can do some zone read stuff, we could really take him out of the game. I, I think gonna... that the buy is huge here, and Kevin just nailed it. Is the, the, this, this week will be the return of the zone read. We haven't seen it for a couple weeks. Russell Wilson doesn't have a lot of rushing yards this season. I think this week is the return of the zone read. We're going to Bradley Sold will not have to be as good because he all he he's going to be blocking someone from the inside. He's going to be helping, or he's going to be trying to get to the second level, and he's going to leave his the guy right in front of him alone. Which he can actually do a bit when he crashes in. That's when he blocks well. Yeah, and so and then instead of what he's doing now, which is one on one against the defensive end, he's now trying to get to the second level or crashing in to help against a defensive tackle. And Russell Wilson's going to stare Vic Beasley straight in the eyes, and he's going to say, "Make a choice: Is it me or is it Christian Michael?" And you know what Russell Wilson is good at? Knowing what that guy's going to pick. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. figures it out. Well, and Krista Michael is the key to this team. I mean, week one against Miami, 15 carries for 66 yards. Week two against L.A., just got the 10 carries for 60. But the last two weeks, he had 20 carries for 106 and two touchdowns against San Fran. And against a really good Jets run defense, he had 18 for 58. And that is what Denver shot themselves to the foot on. They only gave C.J. Anderson 11 carries in that game. They abandoned the run. Don't forget against, uh, against uh, the Jets, too. He had a couple of those short catches, those, uh, you know, the West Coast offense runs. As, yeah. uh, he had five catches for 32 yards. Those are basically runs. Mike Holmgren flashback plays. Yeah. So, he, I mean, yeah, Christian Michael has looked really good the last two weeks and has been a big part of why people are putting the Seahawks back towards the top of the power rankings and not in the middle like they were after the first two weeks. So are you guys with me? You think that these teams are going to, they're both going to score some points in this game, aren't they? It's going to be a battle. It's the best, it's the best off, one of the best offenses versus one of the best defenses. And Matt Ryan probably is not going to start in the toilet yet. But you want to hear an interesting thing about teams that start hot in one season? Oh yes, this is your point. When you teased. Teams, teams that start hot in the, uh, in the first five games and then how they do in the rest of the season. So these, there's, there's a sample size of six teams that have started undefeated and then gone in the guard, gone in the toilet. Okay, 79 Redskins, 94 Dolphins, 2001 St. Louis Rams, 2002 San Diego Chargers, 2004 Minnesota Vikings, and the 2016 Atlanta Falcons. Okay, so all these teams 
had the previous season went five and zero and then went in the toilet, and then the next season they started out five and zero again. Okay, of these teams, only one of them, okay, went on to be very very successful. The two thousand one Rams, right? Mm-hmm, they yeah. ended up in the Super Bowl. All these other teams either did terrible, San Diego and Minnesota, or really kind of flatlined and were very mediocre the rest of the season, Washington and Miami. So I would be surprised if Atlanta ended up being really good. I would not be surprised if they ended up being like 10 and 6. They ended up being kind of okay the rest of the way. They finished season 5 and 6. They kind of back end into the playoffs, and then they're a dangerous playoff team because their offense is explosive, right? But I would be surprised if they ended up 13 and 3 or 12 and 4. Those those records would be kind of stunning to me. I would tend to agree. They're a really solid team. They're an above average team. Their but defense has a ways to go. They're yeah, and they're definitely like a fringe playoff team. If they were in a better division, I don't think they could hit 11 wins, but with, especially with Carolina playing down and already having lost one to them, I could see him hitting 11 wins in that uh NFC South. I feel like the Falcons are what the Jaguars should be. Like or what team. people think they are? Yeah, yeah, or like a team that doesn't have the players but acts like they do. They are who they are. Yeah, I mean, the, seriously, the Falcons, they act like they are the team, and they're not. But that's that's one important component you need for a good defense is swagger. They don't have the players for the swagger, but they're trying to get that swagger. I think this game is going to be high scoring. I think this game is going to be ugly. You're going to see some some flags you don't want to see. You're going to see some some BS that you're not going to want to see. Are we going? To, are we ready for picks? I'm ready. Yeah. Let's do it. Twenty six, twenty three, Seahawks. I like that. Oh, I just did the Donald answer. Trump snort right there. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> um, I'm going twenty eight, twenty four, Seahawks. I'm going to go with thirty four, twenty seven, Seahawks. Oh, I, I'm I'm assuming that's like a garbage time touchdown that we're really. I'm thinking thirty four twenty, and then they hit like that garbage time. Yep. They throw it to Dante Freeman, and he I runs could t- for a bunch of yards. Or I totally crap. can see that score where it's like we're up by fourteen, their game's not in danger, and we just let up like a stupid touchdown at the end. Yeah, they fumble a snap, and a wide receiver picks it up and runs in. God damn. <laughs> All right, so uh, we're about to start Movie Club, but before we get to that, we just want to say if you want to support this podcast, uh, check us out on patreon.com slash Seahawks Nest. Every dollar counts, and every dollar goes straight to the podcast. None of it goes to waste, and if we have any extra money, we're going to give it back to the fans as prizes. So if you want to support us, support you, because that's where the extra money will go once Help we get a new soundboard, you. go ahead and uh, hit us up, patreon.com slash Seahawks Nest. All right. Also, hit us up on Twitter and Facebook. Let's go ahead and roll through the the whole the promo? credits now. Let's do oh, it. Oh no, we got no. We got to save those credits for after after movie club. All right, movie all right, club. All, all right. right. We're, today we're going to talk about how a director's cut can make a movie a hundred times better than the original theatrical version. How a director's cut can save a movie that many thought were terrible, and we're going to talk about Guillermo del Toro's superhero classic. Hellboy. <laughs> so, All right. I mean, Eric, I know you probably have very strong opinions on this movie about it as a comic book fan. As a Hellboy. Uh, and a Hellboy. Since the very first issue. We have to start with something, though, before we even do that. And the reason is the, the director's cut mention. And for those of you who have not seen the director's cut, it's the difference between the movie making any sense and making... No sense. I, I they saw the- cut a scene 
that explain the plot of the movie. Yeah, I saw the movie in the theater and I was like, this is like one of the weirdest, most disjointed pieces of garbage I've ever seen. And then I saw later, someone was like, oh, you should watch the director's cut. It's actually good. And I was like, no, it's not. And he's like, no, seriously, watch it. So I watched it. And it, I was like, wow, this is actually a pretty enjoyable movie. And yeah. like, there's a lot of cool stuff going on here. And now, now I'm like, well, what, 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 what happened that made them, them cut all this stuff out of the movie? I just don't get it. So uh, we'll talk a little how does this get made kind of stuff later. But can, Eric, tell me what your thoughts on Hellboy. Yeah. Okay. Immediately, I'm, I love Hellboy. I love the character. It was a, a character that wasn't really meant to be taken seriously over time. The stories have gotten creepier. They they really go into the arcane history of the world and you know secret clubs. It's it's a great comic, and to transfer that to the screen is maybe not as hard as you think. But here are my problems with Hellboy. Hellboy. <laughs> I knew this is where we were going. Hellboy so in the I, movie. I'm very excited. Hellboy in the movie. He loves cats. He loves kittens. You remember that those scenes? Yes. Why are they in the movie? It makes no sense. Director's cut or no? It, it makes no sense. Why? Because we want to humanize Hellboy. No, it. He doesn't need it. It's stupid. And also, the Didn't whole point of Hellboy is that he like wants to be human, but he's not. Yes. He's like very clearly not, and that's kind of like the whole point of the character. That is one thing that that burns me about this movie. An- I- another thing is Mike Mignola said that. He had to give Guillermo del Toro an original piece of art to keep Hellboy out of a baby crib in the movie. Basically, that's extortion from the director saying, I want this original art or I'm going to do something that the creator doesn't like. I have a little, little rough, uh, you know, relationship with Guillermo for that, even though I think he's a fantastic director. And the final thing is I love Jeffrey Tambor. Jeffrey Tambor is in a wonderful series on Amazon, uh, Transparent. Is that the name of it? Yeah. Yes, thank you. And he's so great as the dad on Arrested Development. Oh, yes. Oh, Here's my the gosh. Thing. He's so awesome. He's, he's great in these serious roles now, and he's always been funny as a comedian. Like in the Larry Sanders show, he's great. And Arrested Development, he's amazing. He's, he's great. To stick him in Hellboy in kind of a weird comedic role, it didn't really make any sense. They kind of used this, like, is Hellboy real? We're going to treat him kind of like Bigfoot. Again, not in the comics. It didn't need to be there. I thought it took away from everything in the movie. They could have cut those, those, See, those two scenes that I mentioned and put in the director's cut, and it would have made the film so much better. Yeah, put in the put in the actual content from the director's yes. cut and take just this kind of off fluff scene, fluff and out. It's, and okay. you guys know that I bitch about this all the time, and I won't go too much into it. But that's my problem with the Marvel movies: is they're like, we have to make it so stupid funny for people, and it's like, no, it's it's like how I like to talk with like you know, uh, kids in their teens, like, or any kid really, yeah. you just treat them like they're human beings. There's, Don't talk down to people. There's something, yeah. there's something in between the goofiness of Marvel and the seriousness of Batman versus Superman. But yeah. I think that that Hellboy is like kind of towing that line, which it's is what very I like close. about it. It tried to. So, and, so like, and real quick, it's better than the Spawn movie. Ron, oh, anything's better than <laughs> Ron Perlman is Hellboy. Awesome casting. Yeah. So yes. good. Okay, I'm so glad we agree on this. Because that is my favorite thing about this movie. There's two things. One, David Hyde Pierce voicing Abe Sapien is yes. incredible. <laughs> it's yes. so good. There's and I, two actors that were like, you don't need to show our face. It doesn't matter. We're in this movie to make it better, and that's what we as actors yeah, do. And David like Hyde, Vin Diesel. David Hyde Pierce was just, he just came in and he just crushed it on the voice work for Abe Sapien. And I love, love, love that character in this movie. It's so good. Um, I think Selma Blair's awesome. In this movie too, I think she does a really good job. Maybe her best role. Ron Perlman is is an excellent choice for Hellboy. I think 
that he did a really cool job and it, it was re- it added like a putting like a really good actor like that in that role made it more um just made the movie more serious like it those scenes where he's petting the cats and stuff yeah they're corny but it, because he's good in the scene other scenes it makes up for the cheesiness does that make sense yeah so i i really enjoy the movie and i think that it's one of those things where like yeah, i saw in the theater and i know it was a well, decently reviewed movie when it came out like it has 81 percent on rotten tomatoes i looked it up before this because i thought it would be way wow worse. it's that high i would and, assumed it was like 60s and i think it's mostly because the visuals are awesome Guillermo del Toro has like the best visual palette of almost any director that's out there, right? It's because the opening and closing scenes did a great job too with that. Like they give you a a great, like they give your eyes a feast at the beginning and the end. And that's really smart as far as like ratings go. That really matters. Yeah. Like a good hearty handshake to start you off. And then like it leaves you with something that you really enjoy. And I mean, the critical consensus is like, but despite a plot that doesn't make sense. And then that's the problem is the director's cut fixes that immediately like they it seems they add in just flesh out the plot and make the movie make so much more sense to give you some idea i have a friend who really enjoyed this movie and never saw the theatrical release they didn't have you know they they were not financially able to go to the theater at the time and a couple years later they really enjoyed the visuals from the comics and they were like well i'll pick up this movie and they picked up the director's cut and they watched it and they're like i don't know understand what everyone was talking about it not making sense this movie makes tons of sense and they were talking to me about that and i was like oh it's director's cut and they're like, yeah. And I'm like, that's, it's the one that makes sense. <laughs> and they're like, yeah. And I'm like, yeah. The I, scene that they cut out was the one at the beginning where it explains how Hellboy exists. And they're like, what do you mean? It's like, you know, like the first five minutes of the movie, they cut out half of that. And they're like, they couldn't believe that that was what you would cut. It wouldn't make any sense. Another thing, too, is I think like back then they didn't have faith in superhero movies. And like... They were like, they let Guillermo del Toro go for it. They let him spend $60 million on this movie. But, like, there was some trepidation, you know, like, oh, how far can we really go? Or, like, what our audience is really going to be into this? And at, this movie was made in 2016. Like, it would be so much different than, yes. it is, than the version that it we got. It would be buried with all the other superhero movies. You, uh, you don't think it would get the shine that it deserves, though? You think it would be over overshadowed? I think so. Look at, look at what Warner Brothers is doing with their DC movies. Look at what Marvel is doing. I mean, just a side note, I've been really kind of excited for Doctor Strange. It looks like a really kind of cool series. It almost looks like Marvel's DC movie. And that's a very cool franchise. And I and it's very interesting. It's it's arcane. It's weird. And I watched a commercial for it yesterday uh, during Monday Night Football, uh, prepping for this wonderful podcast. And lo and behold, there was a who's on first joke in the trailer with Doctor Strange and the main villain. And I said, oh, there you go, Marvel. Thanks a lot. I'm not going to see this movie now. And that is that is what I would be afraid of seeing Hellboy. Like. What did you think of Guardians so, of the Galaxy? It was it, it was a funny movie. It would tried to be like a funny action movie as opposed to Avengers Two, which was trying to be funny in an action movie. But Guardians had something that a lot of these movies don't have. It had heart, and it also had a cast that actually had like real rapport as opposed to like Avengers, which just feels like a bunch of people thrown together, which it is. Yeah, so, and exactly. I feel like if you take a franchise that isn't as central, you can kind of get away with that. And that's what I would hope for with a Hellboy movie where, like like you guys said, Perlman nailed it. And like you said, that makes the cat scenes unnecessary because the cat scenes are to humanize the character in a way that, wait a minute, we have Ron Perlman doing that. He's really good at it. Let's just let him be a good actor. And if you're like your friend Kevin. It's like ham-handing it. Yeah, absolutely. It's like you're, you said your friend read the comics first and I did too. 
reading the comics, I almost heard Ron Perlman. In the comics, there's one scene that I really wish they'd have put in one of the movies where some woman talks about her baby is possessed. She she thinks her baby's gone and the, the demon has taken the place of the baby. And Hellboy's like listening to her. He's like, oh, okay, that's interesting. And then so he's like, he just goes up to the baby and he's like, are you okay? You know, are you a demon? And the baby's going, ga, ga, goo, goo. He's like, you know what, you know what, kid? I think your mom's crazy. I think uh, she's the demon. I just think she's nuts. And the lady gets all offended. And he goes, and you know, I think you're such a great baby. And what does every good baby love? Babies love iron. And he takes out a piece of, like an iron cross to the baby. And the baby loses its shit. It's just like, ah, I'm found out. And it starts running away. And he, that's like, he knows. He's just, he's screwing with this demon <laughs> to get it out. And that's, it's such a funny moment in the comic. And even just me telling you that story, you know you could just picture Ron Perlman going, you know what babies love? Iron. So, yeah, so that would be good. All the actors want to make Hellboy 3. Yes. Guillermo del Toro says if Pacific Rim 2 is a big success, he wants the, his next script to be Hellboy 3. Uh, Hellboy 2 made $160 million. Yeah, and they got the big budget. And, it, and I thought Hellboy 2 was, was good also. It was very watchable. It's it not as... I actually think it's worse than Hellboy 1. Very action-y. He's kept it's very action-y, yeah. It's not... It's it's, uh, it's a good movie, though. Solid it play. had its own plot, though. It didn't pull from the comics. It just said, let's do our own thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, would you want a Del Toro Hellboy 3? That's where I, that's kind of where this is all culminating in. You know, honestly, four years ago, I'd have said no. But now, I think you're, um, Guillermo, yeah, Guillermo Del Toro is a more mature actor, a mature, more mature filmmaker, and I think he would love, he, I know he wants to put an ending on his, on his three movies, on his trilogy. And I know, I know he says his, he wants his third movie to be about, like, Hellboy really coming to grips with the fact that he's like, you know, he's a bringer of the apocalypse. Which is what they've done in the comics. So I think that that would be a great way to wrap it in an interesting, an interesting story direction to take it to. Yeah. Yeah, it would be, it would actually make a true trilogy that comes to a satisfying close, which you just don't get very often anymore. And for that reason, I would like it. Yeah, and it's you know it's that flawed superhero. It's supposed he's supposed to be the end of the world. He's supposed to be the you know the killer of worlds, the 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 head demon that leads the armies of hell. And he's just this, he's, he's sarcastic. Well, he's like 60 years old, but in demon years, that's puts him at 19 and he's just, and he is moody. Yeah. He's moody. And he's just like, I don't want this responsibility. <laughs> and he's played by Ron Perlman. So he sounds old like he should. It's wonderful. All right. So we've got our, there are us talking about Hellboy. And I think that that went about as good as I could have expected. Uh, <laughs> because I wasn't sure. I had like a, a lot of different movies going through my head. We're going to have like serious conversations. We're going to have our hilarious conversations like Tremors and the, what was the first movie? Oh, Bloodsport. Bloodsport. Yeah, you opened with just gold. Gold, yeah, gold, gold. Perfect. And this is silver and silver's good. Sometimes you need silver. Oh, no, I think this is gold. I think, I think if you watch Hellboy's director's cut tonight, you'll be very satisfied. No, the movie's really good. The conversation you're going to have around the movie is very different though. Yeah. Like the last three movies, you're like... The, oh, those yeah. are movies I, I would have in a conversation at midnight after a punk rock show, drinking coffee in a Denny's. <laughs> this is not a conversation. I, this is coffee. I went with one that was like I knew would talk. be more of an interesting discussion because I knew there'd be pros and ca- I knew Eric would have a pluses and minuses. Yes, uh, a passionate discussion. So anyway, uh, you can find us on Twitter at Seahawks Nest. You can find us on Reddit u slash Seahawks Nest. You can find us on Facebook Seahawks Nest. What, are you just waiting for me to say from the Hawks Nest? I'm no, I'm gonna, waiting for LinkedIn. <laughs> Tune in. Stitcher. iTunes. SoundCloud. Uh, your mom's web browser. You can find us on all of these. Uh, hit us up. Send us an email. And uh, tell us 
what soup what comic book that's not a movie yet would you like to be a movie and i'll tell you that it's already in production (laughs) (laughs) absolutely all right uh that's us that's us for this week go hawks go and don't forget executive producer brett hancock could not be here he got held up in traffic at the last moment. Oh, let me give you the let me give you the uh, pick for him for the week. Yes. Uh, uh, fifty-four to four. Forty-seven. We're gonna get. Four. We're gonna get sacked in the end zone twice. I'm gonna think that the world's <laughs> ending after two safeties, <sighs> and then we're gonna score fifty-four unanswered. For Nathan Sandel, Kevin Garber, <laughs> I'm Eric Gronerbeck. Go Hawks. Arietta. But I'm